Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to Dr. Alistair Webster all about medicinal cannabis and the challenges faced by the veterinary industry. Alistair is a third-generation vet from the famous Webster family who are renowned in the industry for creating quality pet products and specifically animal vaccines. Al studied veterinary science at the University of Sydney and graduated in 2000. After researching and developing natural actives for veterinary wellbeing products, in 2006 he founded Pure Animal Wellbeing, which he managed for four years before selling it to Blackmores in 2010. Al now manages a human dermatology company called Real Derma, formerly the Purist Company, which is based in Sydney and offers people high-quality skincare products. Hi, Al, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Absolutely fabulous. It's great to be here. Oh, well, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Um, We're going to be focusing on the challenges in the veterinary industry relating to medicinal cannabis. Um, And I'd really be interested to hear your thoughts on the whole thing. Um, it's a it's a bit of an unknown area for for myself and I think for a lot of practitioners. So it'd be really interesting um, to hear from your point of view, um, seeing as you're a bit, bit closer to the pulse in those sort of um, areas. But before we get into it, I was just wondering if you're able to share with us um, your background and how you came about um, to be a vet and starting all these successful businesses and um, just really would love to hear a bit about your story. Absolutely, Sarah. Yeah, well, I was born and bred in the veterinary industry. Uh, My grandfather himself was a veterinarian, uh, started a company called Webster's back in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And he is actually first a pharmacist and, and the AVA and the Veterinary uh, Foundation at that point of time decided to change the laws associated with creating vaccines uh, to only allow veterinarians to become a, uh, a vaccine producer. So hence he right. had to go back to university after doing fabulous five years of pharmacy and, and do another five years of veterinary science. Wow. through Sydney University. So so he was born and bred into it. Uh, my father followed on in the 1960s going through the University of Queensland. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, it's good enough for them. It was good enough for me. So <laughs> in the in the mid-90s, I did exactly the same through Sydney University. So right. um, I was I was always destined to be a veterinarian, yeah, I think. Yeah, sounds like and, it. And, and it's a course that, as we all know, is, is such a great grounding course no matter what type of uh, industry you end up in, but staying in the veterinary industry, either uh, practitioner or industry, or going on into other things. Mm. So, so I was I was always destined to do it, and and I think it's held me in good stead for for the career that I've had. And so, did you actually practice um, after graduating for a few years before going sort of further into starting up businesses and in, in the industry side of things? Yes, I did. I straight out of practice, like we all did, wanted to take on the world of, of <laughs> mixed animal practice. Yeah. So I, I started that out in Lithgow for a couple of years and and then did a number of different locums and ended up coming back towards the city 
Uh, and and that was kind of the starting point of of where I could see other businesses. And I was in university, involved in different businesses in veterinary education, and and knew that ultimately I'd like to run uh, my own little businesses, uh, both in human and animal health, which has subsequently happened. Right. Okay. So when you say that you were working in veterinary education, were you working just with Sydney Uni in that area? Uh, there's a business called LifeLearn, which was actually right. a Canadian business. Okay. Uh, it, it started in the early 1990s and it was uh, along, well, even the late 80s actually, and it was along the lines of continuing education for veterinarians. Uh-huh. And, and so we built uh, a number of different education modules uh, back in those days on CDs and, and also uh, consumer modules, which allowed easy kind of educational pieces for consumers so that veterinarians could hand those out. So okay. in the, whilst I was studying at university, I was involved with that uh, through, through our family and, and that subsequently led into other animal health businesses overseas and ultimately my desire to, to bring what I saw overseas, particularly in natural health care, back to Australia. And, and that was where I started a little business called Pure Animal Wellbeing in the mid-2000s that has subsequently come on to being really the the innovative leader in natural health care uh, in Australia. Wow. Okay. And so can you tell us a little bit about those first early days of, of starting Pure Animal Wellbeing and um, the products that you had on offer and, and sort of how it grew? Yeah, well, uh, I guess the idea came from my time in the Northern Hemisphere up in North America uh, and seeing the opportunity and, and the amount of different ways in which veterinarians could treat common clinical conditions outside of uh, the norm of, of pharmaceuticals and, and how you could take a holistic approach to, to animal health. And, and, and that was really where the motivation came from and the experience that I got over in North America uh, really really, I guess, lit the idea uh, that we need these types of products back in Australia. Mm. Um, little did I know at the time of, of challenges like the regulatory environment that yes. we face in Australia. Yeah, very different to North America. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's a far more challenging environment, mm. uh, but, but then also the opportunity on the other side of it. The other thing was really, I guess, opening our eyes to different ways of of therapy and, and I guess breaking the norm and and, and expanding, uh, you know, just even the thought process that we have as as clinicians and as as a professional body uh, that there's more ways to help uh, animal health and to help animals themselves than what traditionally we've had and and that's probably the biggest challenge was the scepticism initially uh, throughout the industry that that we could treat common clinical conditions with a more holistic manner. Yeah, and I feel like that is starting to be broken down sort of now. Um, There's certainly more of a push for taking an integrative approach. Uh, I know it's still in its infancy um, in a lot of areas, but I know I was speaking to uh, Barbara Fager and there's been a a big push um, in North America in particular to have integrative vets recognised as veterinary specialists, um, so in line with surgeons and internal medicine specialists. So I hope that that all comes about and that we do see, you know, a big paradigm shift happen in the industry across the world. It would be really exciting to see that. And I think that's the way that human medicine has gone or is going. So hopefully we follow in their footsteps like we usually do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm 
often it's the other way around, to be honest, Sarah. Um, often veterinarians can be the innovators. And we've mm. seen it in areas like dermatology, looking at hyposensitization injections, and the human world's just starting to take those types of areas right. on. But in, in nutritional medicine, um, in many respects, we've been well ahead of, of humans because, of course, we control what animals feed, and that's just a part of the holistic uh, medicine landscape. And, and I think Absolutely, like Barbara was saying, I think we're we're opening our eyes to the fact that we do need to treat every aspect of an animal's life and of a pet's life to really ensure that they have the best quality of care and the best quality of life. And yeah. and and hopefully, and I think personal experience in the human world and in our own lives is starting to drive the way in which we're treating our pets. Okay. Well, on that note. Let's get into the topic of the day, <laughs> which yeah. um, is a very hot topic, um, definitely in the veterinary industry, but also in the human medical industry at the moment, which is talking about medicinal cannabis or CBD. And I, I know a bit about it, but I'd be really excited to talk to you about what your thoughts are and where you see it growing in Australia in particular, but, but around the world as well. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I was literally just a few weeks ago in the US and and just spending time across the West Coast where now it's legalized from a state basis in the human world. Uh, the difference that the and the different aspects that you get exposed to cannabis is just tremendous. Uh, you know, there's walking down the streets. Uh, historically, you know, you would smell the smells of, of Los Angeles, but now you do smell a hell of a lot of, of cannabis really? uh, being used. Wow. It's, it's just unbelievable because of the change in legislation for recreational cannabis. And it's, wow. it's becoming commonplace. Mm. Uh, you know, you'll be in a, in a coffee shop in the morning having your morning coffee to get over the jet lag. And, and what you will smell is, is someone having some recreational cannabis. So it's, smoking it's it? Yeah, absolutely. It's common practice okay. there uh, because wow. of the legalization process. Yeah. Now, federally, that's, that's starting to be, uh, let's say, debated and, and legislation continues to change. And, and it's driven really by the, the, the northern parts and their northern friends in Canada where legalization is pretty much across the board. Okay. Uh, for pretty much all medicinal, recreational, and and also heading into animal health uses, um, they certainly do lead the charge. But you know, there's now tens of countries that have legalised different formats of cannabis, be it medicinal and or recreational, and and that's what's driving this interest. Mm. Uh, and it's and you know personally, it's driving the interest around the medic medicinal component, uh, recreational cannabis in many respects from an animal health perspective is, is causing us a headache rather yeah, than a benefit. Absolutely. I've um, definitely heard of fellow practitioners who have treated cases um, of suspected marijuana toxicity in dogs. Um, yeah, well, the, the, not statistics, fun. the statistics are tremendous. You know, since, since there's been recreational cannabis legalisation on the West Coast, particularly in California, um, in the last three years, the incidental reports of intoxications up four hundred percent. Wow! So, um, so whilst it, you know, it's it's now an across the counter type product. Um, you know, it might be a benefit for humans that are wanting to use it, but you know, the the concern um, is that, of course, what humans have gives access to pets, mm. and so particularly T THC containing mm -hmm. products. Uh, which is, you know, THC being the extract that gives you that, that kind of high feeling. Yep. That's the real risk um, associated with with 
such products being available freely for consumers to leave and obviously therefore pets to get access to. So are there cases generally pets getting access to um, capsules or, or tablets or some sort of medicine rather than just recreational cannabis or a bit of both? I suspect it's more the latter, uh, okay. the recreational cannabis. You know, people have their little stash of their pot and yeah. and to be quite honest, the, the, the dogs get access to it. You know, if people are making excess hash cookies, those types of things are the, the common stories that certainly that I've been exposed to and talking to to vets through California. And, you know, and the, the classic case of the dog coming in totally, totally out of it, to be mm. honest, you know, and mm-hmm. you, your heart rates are, you know, half what they should yeah. be. Often these dogs are seizuring and, and because it stores so well in the, in the fat of the animal, um, it's a long-term treatment to really get them over it. You know, yeah. THC takes such a long time to be excreted through hepatic means and, and it's, it's a real challenge to, to get these poor old pets back into shape in any kind of reasonable time and and the conversation, of course, with the owners is is an interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess further to that point of it being more the latter, the recreational cannabis that they're getting into, um, I guess you would expect that the medicinal cannabis is low or zero THC. Is that correct? Is that something that they're targeting? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, it comes down to the quality of the product, but absolutely, it's very low in THC. and, Mm. And, you know, and the other thing is because it's sold, as a medicinal type product, people tend to respect it as a medicinal and it goes into the medicine cabinet, yes. which is a far less accessible position. And and, and it's that mentality position that, that the owner therefore takes that, you know, this is my medicine. I will ensure that it's within a safe place outside of reach of children and or pets. And and so that, you know, the CBD type cannabis, which is, you know, the extract used from a medicinal front is is far more well respected. And so in America, this might sound naive of me to ask, but is it so freely available now that you go to your doctor, get a script and go to the pharmacy and pick it up and it's that easy or do you not even need a script? Yeah, it's a state-by-state thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so most, or well, there's 17 states to my last recollection that currently have it registered, um, and it's a state-based activity, so you can't transport it freely across state borders. Okay. Um, but most of them are, are, you know, where they've got medicinal, they've got recreational approval. Uh, states like New York, it's only medicinal, uh, but walking down Fifth Avenue, uh, you can tell there's a hell of a lot of recreational <laughs> cannabis being being used yeah. so uh so it's 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 let's say a very soft border restriction right okay. um and and you can imagine how hard that would be to police it's basically impossible in those parts of the world so yeah um so really because there is so much recreational cannabis available uh, and medicinal it, it really is a pharmacy type product mm. um so so the access point from a human side is tremendous and and it's growing materially in the animal health world too um, particularly coming out of the Canadian areas and just talking to a number of animal health businesses over there. They're already producing it, and particularly in Europe. Um, you know, the Swiss lead the way in that world. Yeah, they do seem to be a bit more progressive sometimes um, in these alternative therapies. Yeah, it's, it's, it's well, uh, I guess the true technology is born actually out of Israel. All right. Uh, they've, they've been looking at uh, different extracts of, of cannabinoids for you know the last forty or fifty years, right. and you know it's it's the epicenter of technology advan- advancement, and it's also the epicenter of a lot of the kind of medicinal uh, type advancements, and and really they've they've really got down to a fine art the ability 
to identify the different extracts, which currently there's about 80 that they've got on record that they can identify and extract from wow. cannabis. And, and they're working their way through the different medicinal benefits uh, that they provide. And, you know, obviously CBD is, is the word of the moment, but there are several other ones that they're looking at which have different uh, benefits and it's around making sure that the benefits come without uh, without any safety concerns or health concerns. Yeah. And that's really where the, a lot of the work goes in is do no harm before you, you really look at what the benefits provide. So the safety studies that they're doing, are they generally doing them on laboratory animals rather than humans? It's a variety. Um, you know, uh, because it's been used for so many hundreds and thousands of years now, really, Mm. Um, the the safety profile of the overall products fine. It's down to when you concentrate something. Um, really, what what are the pharmacokinetics and the pharmacodynamics, and and that then leads you to to a lot of the safety profile. And a lot of that can be done really by looking at the actual chemical constituents, mm-hmm. um, and and then relaying that to to well known knowledge. So uh, so that's the basis of it. Yes, there are the trials you know, laboratory trials that are being done at the moment. There's uh, trials being done in, in species, so in dogs and in cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a number of different state universities like Colorado State University over um, in the states that have been doing quite a lot of work okay. uh, in conjunction with industry to, to truly not only just demonstrate the anecdotal benefits but also look well behind the safety parameters of yeah. such products um, and looking at doing long-dose safety trials such as 90 times Oh, sorry, 90-day, five times over trial um, so that you can ensure that you've got a long-term safety profile because most of the clinical conditions that are focusing on CBD are long-term conditions and they need dosing daily. So things like epilepsy and cancer and things like that. Yeah, epilepsy was the first one. Yeah, and the first clinical trials, and this is, gee, now it's, it's a number of years ago now, and they were getting 90% improvement by means of reduction yeah, in it's epileptic amazing. seizure. Yeah. And, and that was with fairly low dose. You know, you're talking two, two and a half milligrams for a 20 kilo dog. So wow. it is very low dose when it comes to, to that exposure and compared to what human exposure is. Mm-hmm. Dogs have far better cannabinoid receptors. You know, they're far more concentrated in mm-hmm. the body. So it does have that more kind of, acute and, and more impactful effects. So you really do only need that low dosing. Which is great. And I hope that means that um, in the future there's a lot more um, availability. If they're, so, if they're so sensitive to it and these trials are happening now, then I, I guarantee that it will be pretty widely available in the next sort of 10, 20 years once everything's, um, all the results have been shared and, and everyone feels like it's safe. Um, we just need to get around the, the regulatory side of, of things, which... I think North America is North America. Um, is it legal to um, dispense it for animals yet? Comes down to the veterinary practitioner's uh, dispensing capacity. Um, oh, okay. It's kind of similar to here. I mean, uh, from a medicinal side, um, you know, you often doing them under permit, and this depends upon which state you're in. And, and in Canada, it's a little bit more liberal. Uh, the Canadian authorities have been more liberal in how they've approached it. Um, but under permit uh, in the US states, uh, you can uh, supply. And it, of course, comes under your, your veterinary practitioner capability to prescribe. So, And locally here in Australia, you know, there is a capacity to be able to prescribe the product. 
you do need to go through the hurdles of the TGA first, and then you need to go through the hurdles of the AVA permits to be able to access it. Uh, I don't believe that currently anyone is actually doing that, but um, certainly anecdotally there's, a, there's been a, a fair history of use uh, locally, um, be that legally or not quite mm. so legally, um, you know, I, I certainly couldn't confirm. But but it's a process, you're totally right, that for conditions like epilepsy and um, my personal interest of, of anxiety, mm. um, there's no doubt that within the next decade we will be treating these animals with a combination of CBD products with conventional medicine that we yeah. currently have. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, the biggest problem in animal health in the world is anxiety that hasn't been yeah. treated to a degree that we're all happy with and, and to find a relative answer for that would be a great, great conquest. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And to also be giving something that um, is going to help the anxiety but also has so many other um, benefits for a patient. So if you're looking at a, an older dog who might be starting to suffer from pain relating to osteoarthritis um, and has anxiety as well, you, you don't have to give multiple products because hopefully this will be targeting both and, and other things as well. Yeah, it can do. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't think we should get too broad and excited and, and really focus on the most important things, hopefully. Um, but that ultimately it is down to industry to, to develop. Um, but yeah, uh, there's no doubt that different uh, extracts from products such as this will, will open up new opportunities of therapy, uh, hopefully faster than we even expect. And can you comment on the current situation in the human um, sort of pharmacy world in Australia. It's currently a Schedule 8 drug, is it? Uh, I would have to check the legislation on what uh, what it is. Um, obviously, the, the Narcotics Drug Act of 1967 really is what drives it from a human world, and that's mm-hmm. from production as well as use, and the TGA are continually changing that. In 2016, they approved for production, Mm-hmm. Uh, so that we could have localised production because, of course, that's one of the biggest concerns is what is the quality of the product and yeah. what are the steps and measures to ensure that you're getting the right specifications and consistently getting a batch production that meets those specifications. So there's a, as a practitioner uh, in the human world that, that you can be comfortable that you're getting a consistent medicine to provide to to, to customers. Yeah. Now, there's a variety of different uh, state-based approvals um, so Victoria was the first driving state uh, to allow for approval of, of medicinal use of, of cannabis and that's driven through uh, a general practitioner uh, being able to p- apply to the TGA for a use right. um, in circumstances such as epilepsy. Mm-hmm. They, it is a paperwork exercise but they do go through that paperwork exercise and have the ability to then prescribe medicinal cannabis uh, to one of their clients. And so it's it's not the simplest of processes, no. uh, but it's a process that can be achieved. And and the other states have all followed very quickly with a variety of different opportunities that you can use uh, medicinal cannabis. It's not consistent across all states, uh, but you know depending upon which state you are in, you can access can- medicinal cannabis for different pain relief expectations for for epilepsy um, and even for a couple of different anxiety and depression. Uh, based uh, conditions. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's evolving. Yeah. I think that's probably the best word you can say. Yes. <laughs> and it's evolving pretty quickly. 
Yeah, well, it's, I think it's evolving and driven more by the general practitioner's interest rather than regulator opening it. Um, yeah. and, it's, and that's probably driven because in this day and age of social media and access to the internet, uh, information that consumers have uh, drive it back. And, yeah. and that's exactly what's happening from the animal health world as yeah, well. Yeah, I was just going to say that as well. That's exactly where it's coming from. Is, it's driven by the consumers and the vets. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. I think we should always challenge how we can treat animals better and, and, and it's easy to get into that kind of constant step of, of just taking what we've always done as being the best way of, of treating mm. something and that's just that's just silly. Mm. We always can learn and we can always try new things. Yeah, science is always progressing. Yeah, well, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Doesn't always, but hopefully it will. Um, so do you believe that there's going to be a day where vets can prescribe it as easily as doctors? And is it something that the APVMA has to approve and register the ingredient for use in products? Is that sort of the path that you think it's going to take? Yeah, absolutely. The yeah. pathway will go through down those steps. I, and I think it'll hopefully happen sooner rather than later. Mm. Um, the process would have to be to get a new ingredient approved. Uh, that requires a considerable amount of information and that's that's where the challenge will be at this point of time. I think the information around the safety yes. and precautions of the product, and obviously as the Australian Regulatory Authority, uh, it's their responsibility to ensure ultimately the safety of the product, not just for animals but also for the humans that would mm. be administering it, mm-hmm. and that the product is appropriately uh, efficacious uh, for use uh, for the condition or the clinical claim that's put towards the product. Um, I know mm. well a number of international brands uh, that are out there that now provide uh, nutritional supplementation and also heading towards registered therapeutic products uh, for cannabinoid-based products. Uh, and and those will gather momentum and continue to get information as, as they start to become commercialised mm-hmm. because they'll have far better financial backing to do that. Yeah. And we'll find that there'll be CBD products uh, that I, I would expect well within the next decade that will be available uh, in the Australian market. And, right. and ones for a variety of different conditions as we better understand the different extracts. Yeah, and so on that note, um, you were saying that in Israel they're investigating up to 80 different extracts. Do you think that in the future, I don't know when that might be, that we're going to have each individual extract targeting individual conditions and it's going to be that specific? I would hope so, Sarah. Uh, it's it's certainly a very exciting space, but it's, it's flavour of the moment too. Yeah. So, I'm always cautious about that. And hopefully if we get one good chemical that comes out of this product and one that can really help effectively treat a condition, be it anxiety, be it seizures, yeah. uh, be it osteoarthritis more effectively, I, I think we'll have done well. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, to ex- to expect it to be the golden bullet for all conditions, well, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but hopefully it's at least a silver bullet for one condition. Yeah, it would be it would be really nice to see that happen, and particularly for those patients who, uh, you know, I think of some patients with epilepsy, and this is the same in humans that are just resistant to some of the pharmaceutical interventions and they end up being on three different anti-seizure medications and still having breakthrough seizures. It would be so nice to offer them something that was a bit gentler and not have to be on so many drugs. So um, for those individual cases, I'm sure it can be really beneficial. Yeah, and the alternatives you get. I mean, you know, 25 years ago, the way in which we managed osteoarthritis is so different to, to how we manage it now. 
and yeah. and that's been such an improvement. And you know, we know that that basically affects all pets really over that kind of age of eight to ten. Yeah. Uh, be it dog, cat, uh, horse, otherwise. So, and it's it's exactly the same. And as these animals are living longer, we're going to need to have better medicinal care and and safer medicinal care to be able to nurture the new conditions or the the new problems that we face as as everything improves in life. Yeah. So. So it's it's an exciting one. Uh, there's no doubt in my in my mind that we will have CBD based products that will treat a number of conditions. Hopefully, one as as you know the gold standard. But mm-hmm. time will tell. Yeah, it's, it would be um, very interesting to see what happens. And, and I think that it will, I mean, relatively speaking, happen quite quickly because um, there's so much momentum behind it at the moment. Al, I have always been a bit confused. So. Are you able to help me understand, at the moment on the market, you do find quite a lot of products that have hemp in it. Um, yes. Now, I know that hemp is from the same sort of variety of plant as medicinal cannabis, and quite often these products will, will make similar claims to, you know, reducing pain, anxiety, and things like that with the hemp-based products. Can you talk a little bit about why they're already available on the market and what amount of CBD they might have in there or whether there's any at all and whether whether you feel that they're beneficial? I can answer that fairly simply in, in that whilst there are hemp uh, seed-based products on the market and hemp can be seen as a, as a base ingredient, there, there's no, let's say, concentration of that on, and no manufacturing component to it. And, and so it's, it's treated just like a food ingredient. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, from, a, from a therapeutic basis, um, none of those products, are, to my knowledge anyway, are registered with the APVMA. Uh, so from a therapeutic basis, really it's, it would absolutely be anecdotal. Mm-hmm. Uh, for any kind of benefit, and if if they're making therapeutic claims, in reality they're supposed to be registered. So yeah. I, I really couldn't make any assessment from that base. So really, what they're they're designed to identify is that they're really playing on the ingredient of a hemp seed. Yeah. Um, now, is that going to have any therapeutic benefit? Perhaps, um, but one couldn't expect it to be a consistent result, nor could one expect it to be a reliable result. So. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit challenging from that basis, and that's where to to really go through and create really a, a, a pharmaceutical style product out of, out of a natural based ingredient is the is the driving aim of this industry, and that's where CBD is just changing the whole scope and the whole way in which we look at, at cannabis and cannabinoid type products. Um, it's it's really bringing it to a pharmaceutical level. Yeah, and. Um I guess we need to think of these products more as um, sort of supportive or like a, 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 a treat that you might give that has some slight nutritional benefit rather than, as you said, using it um, for a therapeutic or medicinal purpose. Yeah, it's, uh, that's certainly all that I could rely on. Um, if, you know, if clients are finding there a benefit, well, we're all happy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but to be making actual claims physically on the product, I think it's a little far-reaching. And so in your knowledge, I know you mentioned that you um, know of a few research studies that are that are happening internationally. Is there any that are happening currently in Australia um, of the use of CBD in, in our pets? I do know that there's a small, um, I would call it a pilot study done down uh, just out of Canberra. 
Okay. Um, which a group has done. Uh, I don't know any of the results as to as to how they found that. Um, now I don't know exactly what the the details of that study are, but I I know that there are Australian companies that are looking at it. Okay. Uh, there's a, you know, there's a number of listed Australian companies in the human world uh, which have production facilities overseas but are listed locally. And, and of course, we do have local production now up and running uh, for uh, medicinal cannabis. And wherever there is a need and wherever there is a supply, there's no doubt there'll be companies developing that through. Yeah. Uh, I would assume that the people that are doing these are, are doing them in, in conjunction with support from the AVA, the APVMA mm-hmm. and 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 taking that that direct line and and following on from there really we'll we'll see what comes of it. Uh, yeah. But overseas there's you know I certainly know of a number of com- companies in Europe that are well developed down the down the track of of good quality products uh, that will bring uh, efficacious products to market, and similarly in North America, mm-hmm. uh, there's well certainly I've met with three personally uh, that are really developing good science around their products uh, and and doing it in very much a methodical uh, pharmaceutical approach to creating something that we can rely on that will have gold standard studies uh, to be able to ensure that the products do exactly what they say they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, and safe way. Is it looking like those products might make it to our shores before locally produced products do? Uh, I think that'll come down to their approach to to supporting their products and, and to investing uh, to be able to get them through the appropriate processes, supporting what I mean by supporting is working with the APVMA to ensure that they can get the proper registrations uh, to allow them to be freely available. I've no doubt that there'll be permit-based products that veterinarians yeah. will be able to access and resource. And I, one would hope and one would expect that it, they should be veterinary products because they really yes. do require diagnosis to allow for therapy and treatment. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the approach that hopefully the appropriate companies will do and and that we should see, as I said before, well within the next decade, uh, a suite of, of cannabinoid-based products for different conditions and hopefully one or two of them are, are really the gold standard therapies. Yeah. And, and particularly around epilepsy and, and around anxiety, I expect those two products uh, will be gold standard. And also I know in human medicine that they're using it as a sort of supportive treatment for patients undergoing cancer th- treatment, um, so chemotherapy in particular for helping control nausea and side effects. Yeah. Do you see that as a use in animals as well? It absolutely can be. Uh, you know, it's, as we progress other therapies um, to treat some of the more sinister uh, oncological uh, conditions, you know, one of the side effects, of course, is nauseation and, and to ensure that the, the the dog and or cat can continue to get appropriate nutrition as they go through the therapy is, is absolutely critical. So any you know, stopping sickness is, is going to be critical to that. And there's extremely good science already around the benefits and, and knocking out a number of the, the central nervous system uh, causes of nauseation. Yeah. And, and so already um, the science is known about that. It's just a matter of going through that process to ensure we do no harm, uh, get the best quality therapeutic available and, and 
hopefully we'll we'll have something there that that can really help us improve the quality of medicine we're doing and the quality of life of all the patients which is the aim yeah. really <laughs> absolutely i mean particularly i mean it's it's really around you know, elongating and sustainable uh, quality of life. Well, Al, we're, we're nearly out of time, but I just had one question which has come up um, through our talk, which probably our listeners might be interested in as well. I'm not sure if you'd be able to answer it. But when we're talking about CBD and the production of it from the plant itself, do you know what steps are taken and what part of the plant is used and how they actually produce this high-quality standardised um, extract? Yeah, well, the CBD, it's an extract process and it depends. There's a number of different ways in which you can use it. Uh, You can create the the cannabinoid. There's, you know, solvent extraction. Uh, They often use a a proportion of heat to help Mm -hmm. extract it. Um, Sometimes they can use some alcohol breakdowns. Uh, So there are a variety of different ways in which they can get the different extract. Ultimately, you're after the oil. So the oil contained within... Uh, the plant itself. So that's the total target. And then what they need to do, depending upon which extract they're after, uh, there's a variety of different uh, techniques that they use. Uh, So it really is down to what you're targeting. Mm. Um, And, you know, it now is a well-known path to be able to extract CBD. And it's, it's something that they can do very consistently. And because they're now actually farming the products, they can control the entire environment that the actual cannabis plant is being grown, uh, the time frames of when they're actually doing the harvesting, and then they can go through the manufacturing process on a consistent basis so that we are getting standardisation. Yeah. And, and, and that way you know that the product at the end is going to be within its specification. So it really is... Uh, a well-developed industry already, even though it's really been the last decade that it's come on. And one could be fairly confident that that we should see that getting more well-refined and we'll get an even better quality of product. Is it the whole plant that they're extracting the CBD from, or um, the oil from, sorry, or is it the flowers or the seeds or one particular part? Uh, it depends upon what, what extracts you're after. Okay. Uh, Sarah, so um, and and that's really where the work is going in by means of getting better improvement. Um, so, from a CBD perspective, uh, and to be able to extract uh, that ingredient cleanly and and reduce the amount of THC, which is really the the extract that we don't want because mm. that's the extract that gives you those kind of psychoactive yeah. uh, type highs. So yeah. so that's really the details um, that, that the manufacturers are looking to improve mm-hmm. uh, because you know the more clean you get that product. Um, the happier we'll all be. And so the products um, that will be available um, or are already available for human medicine, on the labels, do they actually have listed the amount of CBD and the amount of THC? Is that is that what they have to list? They identify the amount of um, CBD and so you purchase on that front. Yep. Um, and they will make different positions about how much uh, of the psychoactive ingredient that they've got in there. Um, and, you know, THC, it's, it's something that really they can get to such points that there is no um, mental change for, for someone that's using the product. So, and, and that really is a lot of the demands that the, the regulatory authorities are driving through. So, you, so it's, it is a well 
developed, um, you know, and they've got good HPLC measurements now that can really identify and, and measure both of those ingredients. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not novel science anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a well-developed path that they can go down. Wow, I've learned so much today with some, always an area of interest for me, but it's, it's hard to know where to go to get the right information because it's just such a buzz topic at the moment that you can get a little bit lost in the internet searching Um, and the difference between you know where it's at at the moment in the US like you talked about in Canada and in Europe compared to Australia is um, you know still quite different um, where the industry sits so I've I've really valued all of your insight I knew that you were going to be a wealth of knowledge on these topics I'm really really glad that you've come on today Um, but I won't keep up your time any longer I know that you've probably got a busy day to go back to and I just wanted to thank you again so much for being um, one of our earlier guests on the Pure Animal podcast I hope we have you back again one day to talk um, maybe medicinal cannabis again or or another topic Um, but I really thoroughly enjoyed today and I hope you have too yeah, it's been fabulous and I, I hope to see that something ultimately comes out of this. We, we always need new medis- medication to be able to help treat our pets and, yeah. and always willing to be of help where I can, Sarah. This is the Pure Animal Podcast and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard. <laughs>